0: Good morning, family. Good to see you all. Today we're going to be jumping into 2 Timothy and we're going to be talking about the authority of Scripture. My name is Jake, and uh, before we preach the Word of God, let me just bow my head and I invite you to bow your head with me and we'll pray. Jesus, we need you. We need to see you, and so we ask that you would come to us clothed in Scripture. God, give me the gift of preaching. God, not for my sake, but for the sake of your people. We need you and we love you. It's in your name we pray, amen. Okay, so the first date that me and Lexi ever had, Lexi texted me and said, hey, how about we meet up at uh, the coffee shop at Agrosopia?" She said, don't worry about it, I'll meet you there. We'll drive separately. Later, I found out that was because it was their exit strategy in case the date was really awkward. just drive away on our own. So pro tip for ladies trying to find the right guy, just drive separate so you can leave if it gets bad. Which is fine with me, because I was driving on the way over, listening to all the loudest music, trying to get myself psyched and pumped to talk to this girl I thought was really beautiful. And so we show up at the coffee shop in Agritopia, get some coffee, get a cupcake, sit down on a couch, and we start talking and I'm making all of my half-baked jokes. She's laughing hysterically at all of them, which is the test, guys, tip. Make a bad joke, and then you'll know. If they laugh, they like you. (laughs) If they don't laugh, you're already failing anyways. So you don't have to worry about the bad jokes, so just throw a bad joke out there and see what they do. So we sit down, and as we're chatting, kind of like getting to know each other, Awkwardly laughing, smiling, and everything. I don't really know anything about Lexi, and so I ask her to tell me her story. And then she tells who she is, her history, a bit of her family, what it was like growing up. And then she doesn't know anything about me, so she asks my story. Six to seven months later, I'm convinced I'm going to marry this girl. I got a ring fund in the bank account, working towards it, and so I ask her if she would meet me at Tibbytown Lake, this isn't the proposal story, but we sit down, we eat, and I tell her, hey, I really care about you, I love you, and you're a huge part of my life. I wanna tell you some more of my story. And I begin to tell some of the harder parts to share, the more vulnerable parts to share. Because when it comes to our stories, Sharing those with others is some of the most intimate things that we can share. We share it with the people we love, our best friends. There are things that Lexi knows about my story that none of you will ever know. There are things that I know about her story that none of you will ever know. Because it's the most intimate thing that we can give. When we talk about the Holy Scriptures today, what we are talking about is this is God's story, and it's a story that invites us into it. Those are gonna be my only two points for today. As we continue to go in this series, we really need to drill in on this because how are we gonna talk about some of the harder counter-cultural issues if we don't know if we could trust this or not and we don't know what this is and what it's for? And all the objections are gonna rise up in our heads as we really drill into the harder things of scripture. Like, Did God really like this? Is it kind of corrupted? I mean, man wrote it, right? But God, how does that work? Can we trust that what we have is really what Jesus said? Where do we go from here? But the things that I want us to hear more than anything is that when we open up the scriptures, it's God's story. And it is the story that invites us into it. And so we see that in a very short but powerful verse in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is breathed out by God. Literally, scripture, God breathed. So when you think of that image of God breathed, it kind of reminds you of the intimacy that God had with Adam as he breathed into his nostrils and brought him to life. So much throughout the Old Testament, you have that God is identified with his spirit, his ruach, his breath. You got pictures in Ezekiel where an entire army is raised up and what makes them living? When God tells Ezekiel, say to the breath, all scripture is intimately identified with who God is. It's his. And some of the ways that we would talk about it and have talked about it in church history in the past is that scripture is inspired, which we get that from the Latin word inspirare, which if you didn't know, in college, I took a Latin class. You also don't know, I don't remember anything about it, but Josh Butler told me that that word (laughs) means, think of the idea of breathing breath onto hot coals it's where for those who grow up in a catholic tradition you get the latin word spiritus spiritus sanctus the spirit of god and so there is that breath that image of intimacy of tied to godness that is the very image that we get within scripture it is something that is god's but then man wrote it how does that work out together because of the way scripture kind of describes itself, it's, it's, it is not as if King David wrote the poetry on his own, on his own self, his own ideas, and then said, this is what I think God would say. But it's also not as if King David sat down to write the poetry with a pen, and then just went, and went into a trance, started writing, looked at the page, and he's like, whoa, look, a poem. <laughs> but it is organic inspiration. Who creates the art? The artist or the paintbrush? If I bought the most expensive guitar in the world, would that make me John Mayer? I wish. <laughs> Just for his musical talent. So if, if I heard one of, my favorite, one of my favorite photographers named Giles Dooley, somebody asked him, if I paid you, would you teach my daughter how to do photography? And he says, no, I can't. I can't take money for that, I'll teach you how to do photography right now. Pick up a camera, point it at something, and press click, you're a photographer. He said, the thing that makes me a good photographer is I know where to point the camera. David held the pen, but God held David. And God loves to write in pen, pencil, poetry, Prose, epic narratives, arguments within itself. God loves to use all of the messiness that it is to be a human being. Who better to be the pen to write the Psalms of repentance than King David when he's on his knees pleading with God for mercy because he killed Uriah. Who better to articulate the pain of being a human and what it feels like when it feels like God abandoned you than Jeremiah when he's watching his city burn? Who better to write the epic narrative of the Exodus than Moses who watched it as an Egyptian and saw what God did? Who better to articulate through the Gospels what it was like to watch Jesus? And we get four accounts because God loves to speak in a way we would understand. And so he uses all of the uniqueness, all of the humanness of what it would mean to speak to us. If I wanted to tell you my story, if I spoke in a language that you didn't understand, it doesn't matter how good that story is. So God comes to us, he speaks to us, his scripture is God breathed because though intimately tied to him, he has so much love that he would kneel down and come to us in a very human language and so it comes to us with all of the difficulties of it's an ancient document that's thousands of years old it's tied to a different culture it's very human very messy and there's lots of things in there that we would with our if we were going to keep everything nice and clean would go Ugh. but all scripture is god breathed it's organic But a lot of the problems that we have with scripture come really from we don't know what it is and we don't know what it's for. But our hope to unlocking that, to getting past that, is really not gonna be any advice or statistics or scholarly things that I could share with you. The way we move forward is Jesus. Amen? Amen. Jesus. I trust the Bible because I trust Jesus. I don't trust in Jesus because I trust the Bible. I actually became a Christian through seeing Jesus embodied in the people of God, and I heard stories about him, and then God rescued me, and he saved me. And so if he has a high view of scripture, then I will if he sees scripture in a certain way, then I will trust the way that he handles scripture is something that I can rely on. I trust the Bible because I trust Jesus, not the other way around. And so when we see Jesus in the gospels, the way he handles scripture is beautiful, but it is gonna challenge us. The Sadducees corner Jesus and they say, Jesus, let me tell you a story. There once was a woman and she was married and then her husband dies and then there was another man and married her and then he dies and then another man. Seven husbands, they all die, which is a crazy story on its own because at husband five, you think the next guy would go, all right, maybe we'll just date a long time. So they set, they set Jesus up. They tell this ridiculous story. And the point is, they ask him, who is she gonna be married to in the resurrection? Here's the punchline. <coughs> the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. Because the resurrection doesn't really get more clear until later in the Old Testament and the Sadducees only believed in the first books of Moses. And so it's a trap. It's a way to show Jesus, look, see how silly this is? You can't really believe in the resurrection. Look how ridiculous this is because they don't know the scriptures. And so Jesus responds to them and he says, okay, you don't believe in the resurrection because you don't know the power of God and you don't know how to read this thing. You don't believe in the resurrection because it was only spoken about in Daniel? How about in Exodus? God says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Jesus leans in. Am I, is God the God of the living or the dead? Crickets. Because for Jesus, the Bible is a coherent story. If it tells something in the beginning, it's gonna be traced to the end. It holds together in such a way that it doesn't matter what part you pick and choose, it holds together as one unified story that has authority, unbreakable authority. And so when they corner Jesus, and Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. They pick up rocks, they go to kill Jesus, and he says, what are you attacking me for? Is it because I'm healing everybody right now? They say, no, it's because you make yourself equivalent with God. And Jesus goes, okay, if you got a problem with that, Psalm 86 quotes and talks about kings as gods. If that's what scripture says, do you have a problem with what I say or what scripture says? For Jesus, the scripture is unbreakable authority. And so when Satan comes to him and says, if you really are, do this. Jesus goes, it is written. And when Jesus then gets tempted by Satan, he says, okay, well then let me miss and twist up God's words and throw it at you, Jesus. Jesus' response again is, it is written. Written, and then he comes at him again and says, if you just bow down and worship to me, we can make this whole thing yours, and it'll be fine, Jesus. Jesus says, get away from me, Satan. It is written. Because for Jesus, this scripture have unbreakable authority. Unfortunately, a lot of time when we come to scriptures, we are like the Sadducees, or we are like the Pharisees. If we don't understand it, maybe there's something wrong with the Bible rather than there's something wrong with us. And so we avoid it, we ignore it, or we abuse it. Because we don't have a view of scripture like Jesus does, where it is a coherent story, it is unbreakable authority, and it all is about him. Luke 24, Jesus resurrects from the dead. First thing he does, he walks along with disciples before they even recognize it's him. And he explains to them opening up the scriptures how everything ties to him. Everything from Genesis all the way to the New Testament, it all was about him. Apparently for Jesus, it was so important that his disciples saw how everything in the scripture connected and pointed to him, that them seeing that he actually resurrected from the dead could wait. For Jesus, It holds together with so much power and authority. It's all about him. But to make a claim that there's a story that has unbreakable authority and is a story for the whole world, no matter what we think, is offensive and a little bit dangerous in 2020 because of our past. In the 18th and 19th centuries, we had a history where we engaged with an experiment during the enlightenment where we said, you know what? Let's toss this religion stuff to the side. I know it claims to have a story, but you know what we can do is we will say, let's try to get the kingdom of heaven by our own means and forget the king. We'll do it with reason, we'll do it with technology, we'll do advancement economics, we will do it with human beings being the center. And then in 21st century, we look backwards and we go, if you claim a story has authority, it's authoritarian. Because your stories, 18th and 19th centuries, dropped the atomic bomb, they instated Jim Crow to keep on making money, and they have burned our world to the ground in ecological disasters in the name of capitalism and GDP. And so in the 21st century, postmodernism rejects it and goes, you know what? Forget the stories that you send us, they are oppressive. And so now we exchange that experiment for a new one, which is you are the king, make up your own story. And so we spend 144 minutes a day on social networking. We have four hours on average a day spent on TV. We watch a day, 5 billion YouTube videos. In 2020, we spent $659 million on podcast revenue. Apple TV, Netflix, Hulu, YouTube Originals, Disney Plus, HBO Go, I'm probably missing a couple because they keep growing because all of them know that they can make money off of one truth that we do not know and we forget, which is we are starving for story. Starving to death for a story that might give us an identity because it's so hard to find our own. Starving to death for a story that might match the anger that we have when we see the brokenness in the world. We are looking for a story that might give us a little shred of hope or maybe at least give us a little bit of an escape when we're so afraid from the stories that our news media is telling us. We're starving to death for a story. And in the silence, in the darkness, God says, Come, let me tell you my story. Open up this word and come. Let me tell you the time that I created this beautiful world and I had nothing but good intentions for it. Come, let me tell you the time that my people slapped my hand away and wanted to do it on their own, but I would never stop chasing them. Come, let me tell you the time that I went in to save my people from Pharaoh. You should have seen Pharaoh stand up to me. No one would stop me from freeing my people. Even if I have to bend the forces of nature down, you should have seen Pharaoh fall. Come and hear my story, God says. And I took them into the wilderness, and I wanted to protect them, and I gave them my word and the law, and it was like I'm their father. I wanted to teach them how to live, how to care for one another, and they ran away from me and they ran again, and they ran again. Come, let me tell you the story of how I pursued my people and never would give up. I am a God who is gracious and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. I would never quit. Let me tell you my story. Let me tell you the voice of the prophets. Let me tell you about the time that my people cheated on me as a woman cheats on her husband. Come see my broken heart. Come hear my pain, God says. Come, let me tell you the time that I told the prophets, you won't believe what I'm gonna do. If they won't hear my word, I will send them the word. If they won't listen to me, then I will come so they might actually see me. Come, let me tell you the time I sent my son to love my people. Come, let me tell you the time they crucified my boy. And I love them so much, I let them do it. But I would not let them stay dead. I would not let my son remain in the grave. I rolled back the tomb. Come only tell you the time that I began something you would never expect to do. I came to save this world. Come, hear my story that's good now, good forever, and will be good in the future. And come, be a part of this story. When we open the word, there's an Invitation. It's not a story about God. It is God's personal testimony, and he's inviting us to join in. I don't tell Lexi my story those days because I just want her to know about me. I want her to know me, and I want her to become part of mine, just like I wanna become part of hers. And so what scripture is, it is the story of God. What it is for? Inviting us in. It is for equipping, the second part of this scripture. All scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So over the last six months or so, I noticed I was getting tons of lower back pain I think I've even talked about it from stage before. So I go to my dad. I was I lucked out. I was born into a chiropractor family. My dad's a chiropractor. So I go to him and I go, hey, I got back pain. He's like, well, I can help with that. And so he takes an x-ray of my spine. He pulls out the x-ray, puts it up in front of me, and he goes, Ugh. (laughs) And I look at it, and he says, You see that? And I go, Looks like a spine. Not a chiropractor, dad. So he holds up what a spine should look like. And I see it and I go. I don't know how we never noticed this, you know, 29 years of being in a chiropractor's son, but I have a birth defect in my spine where my lower lumbars, the doorstopper bones that keep you from twisting too far, are bent outward and basically useless and so constantly hurting my lower discs in my back. And so he looks at that, he shows me what is, and what is shows me what should not be. That's what scripture does. It tells us the true story, so that when we look around at all these other stories, we can go, that's not the story, that's not the story, that's not the story. But it would be really scary if it left us there, and I think most of us actually think that, We're scared to open this up because what if it exposes what is not supposed to be in me? And what if it leaves me there? Which I get, I feel that a lot too. What if it leaves me there? I don't need a lot of things to tell me that I'm not good enough. Like from birth, I pretty much know. Just like my dad would be a horrible chiropractor and also a mean dad if he just said, well, there's your x-rays and hope you have a good day. No, he puts me onto the table and he adjusts my spine, he corrects it to where it's supposed to be. Then I'd get in the car, I'd drive home, I'd feel way better, but I didn't notice immediately, like my spine's trying to go back, so I drive back to my dad. What we notice is that I'm so out of shape that my body kinda wants to go back to the old, so he adjusts me again, and then he has me lay on these blocks on my hips for like 40 minutes, and it is training my body to stay. Scripture doesn't just expose what isn't, though we're scared of it. It lovingly corrects us, shapes us, trains us. I don't go to my dad because I just wanna feel, I want to be able to run, I want to be able to swim, I want to be able to play with my dog and not be hurting in life. Scripture equips us, trains us, corrects us, exposes what is not, all so that we might join into this story participate with God. We read it so that we might have Christ revealed and see Christ in it, and through that, we're changed. We're made new. It's a really good gift that we have these scriptures, but a lot of us, probably most of us, have examples in our lives of somebody taking... The good gift of Scripture as a tool and banging it into a sword and swinging it around. And so we get scared, and maybe we reject this. It's as if God has shared his story. Think about this imagine telling your story to someone, they take that out of context and go tell a bunch of other people and make you look like a fool. The pain. Sometimes that's how we use scripture, and sadly, a lot of us, that's happened to us, and so we, we reject this instead of going to this and going, is that true? We need some guardrails to help us read this well. Two that I think are the most important. We need the whole story, and we need the whole body. The whole story, because if you read Leviticus with all of its cultural craziness that if you dive in there without being ready you're gonna be all kinds of confused but if we don't have the whole story then you're gonna have crazy examples like charlie Fouqua in the early 2000s who tried to use one of the laws and say that if kids are rebellious death penalty in the modern day which is ridiculous the bible doesn't say that okay but if we don't have the whole story to understand what Jesus does to the law, how it fulfills the law, if we don't know the whole story that ties it together, we can really make a mess of this. People have held this thing up and stood up to empires and said, we cannot enslave people. And on the other end, people have said, let me read you this, is okay. If we don't have the whole story, we're gonna get this wrong, and what's at stake if we get this wrong is people rejecting not us, but Jesus. And we need the whole body. You don't understand and hear and really open your eyes to see God's heart for the poor in the Gospel of Luke until you read the Gospel of Luke with somebody who's poor. You don't see and feel the anxiousness that God has to protect the vulnerable and some of the laws that he had, even in books like Leviticus on the refugee and the poor, until you sit down and read with a Syrian brother or sister in Christ who is a refugee. You need the whole body because in small group RC, it's a lot harder to stand up and say, I think the Bible says this, because you got your brother or sister next to you going, I'm pretty sure it doesn't. (laughs) And thank God for the community. Because when we're learning it, we get a lot of things wrong and that's okay, but if you try to do it isolated or if you try to do it without the whole story, we will make a mess. I was thinking all week long on what advice to give on how to read the Bible. Because all of us, I know, me too, have times where we hesitate to go to it or we go to it and it doesn't seem to do it for us or we get confused more than we were when we showed up to hear the scriptures. there's a lot of really good tips on how to better read the scripture. I'm just gonna tell you one that honestly, if you could do this, you will do all of them. Read it. (laughs) Revolutionary, Jake. Can't believe you shared that. I spent all week and that's what you came up with. (laughs) Read it. Read the Bible. When you come across something that's confusing, keep reading it. When you sit down to read it and your heart is numb and nothing comes out of it, keep reading it. When you run into something that seems to clash with your very identity and story, keep reading it. When you sit down and you feel like you've come alive by just hearing three words from it, keep reading it. When you read the gospels and you see Jesus and he looks beautiful to you, keep Reading it, when you see Jesus and he seems to confront everything about you, keep reading it. In the darkest moments of your life, when you feel like you have no hope, keep reading it. Because in reading it, we see Jesus. Paul tells Timothy in this section, you know the scriptures that you're acquainted with, which were able to make you wise for salvation in Jesus Christ. Keep reading it. Paul says, because there's a day coming when people are gonna have itching ears. They're gonna go wherever they can to hear what other stories, myths, things they can that will satisfy those ears. We go to a lot of different things to hear stories besides the Holy Scriptures, which aren't in of themselves always bad, a lot of them are good, but if they're the loudest or the most common voice or a voice and you ignore this one, then someone else will be shaping the story besides the word of God. Good scripture reading practices are like dating, at least in theory. It could be like dating or think of a close friend that you sit down to get coffee with to catch up with you're gonna continue to learn and gain and know more. I think one of the, probably the credit for the healthy seasons of our marriage probably goes to my wife because we, every week, do a date night, usually on Thursday, and she fights for it. I mean, even if, I mean, I might think about like, hey, there's something else coming up, maybe we could switch this around, and then I'll be like thinking about it, and she'll like look at me, and I'm like, forget it, we're gonna go on a date. (laughs) And it has helped us keep healthy because... Some of those dates are just so good. We get to reconnect and I hear stories about who my wife is that I didn't even know. And she hears about me and we celebrate and life's good. Sometimes we sit down on dates and we get in a fight. Sometimes we sit down on dates and we're too distracted. Sometimes there's a lot of things that get in the way. Sometimes I'm bad at listening, but here is the point. Keep coming back to it. Because imagine if we treated the people that we love like we treat the Bible. Imagine if I sit down in five minutes to a conversation with a friend, I say, hey, to be honest, this isn't really doing it for me. I don't have any warm fuzzies. <laughs> and let' tell you what, we're gonna cut this off and I'll try again tomorrow, yeah? See you later. <laughs> Yet that's how we read scripture sometimes. Faithfully reading scripture, I'm just gonna tell you guys, it's gonna take a whole lifetime. There's no silver bullet that I'm gonna give you or anybody else is gonna give you that's gonna make you go, wow, now I can read scripture well. If you wanna become better at scripture reading, become a better person. It'll take a whole lifetime, patiently, with a posture of listening and faith and slowness. And when you're distracted, come back again tomorrow. And when you're hopeless, come back again tomorrow. Keep reading it because We need to see Jesus. The invitation today to come to the table is not an invitation to come to the Bible. We worship a God who became a man. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. Not anything was made that was not made in him. And the word became flesh. The word didn't become book. The word became flesh. Because most of the time, as good as this story is, we have our ears stopped up with sin and weighty things of this world. And so what is God gonna do if his people won't listen to this beautiful, intimate story that could shape them into the very image of God? If they won't listen, I'll come to them so they will see and the Word became flesh. The invitation today is to come to Jesus, Him. In Him, you see a higher view of scripture that shows us where to begin. So as we, uh, I'm gonna invite this band on a stage. I wanna pray for us to have a heart and a hunger for scripture so that we could see Jesus, not know a lot of things about the scripture. Let's pray. God, I pray as we come to the bread and come to the wine that you would make so abundantly clear to us that this is a moment not of remembering something in the past. This is a moment in the present where you are with us. You're present with us in a mysterious, miraculous way where the body comes together. We get to eat and we get a drink reminded that you are the God who comes to be with us. Give us a hunger for your words that we might see Jesus. Speak to us all, Lord, in the ways that only your spirit knows how to speak. For those who feel discouraged because they've been burned by people using scripture poorly, would you heal? For those of us who just feel so burnt out on life that it seems, like another task, would you reinvigorate us to hear a better story? God, would you be present with us this week? Would you turn these moments of reading scripture into communal moments that transform a people to know you, to love you, because you loved us first? Be with us in this moment, Jesus. Slow us down. Eliminate our distractions. We love you, all God's people said, amen.